Good morning, everybody. How is everybody doing? Are you good? Are you awake? <laughs> well, if it's your first time joining us, maybe it's your first time in a long time, uh, we are really, really excited that you're here. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Matt. I get to be the next-gen pastor here. And we are walking through a series that we're calling Plot Twist. Um, now, if you know anything, if you've lived even a moment in 2020, that feels like, um, well, duh, right? Everything feels like it's been a plot twist. Do you remember uh, Murder Hornets? Who remembers Murder Hornets? That was, that was in the news for a bit ago. And then we have, obviously, the pandemic. And then I actually read the news. There was a tiger loose in downtown Knoxville this week. What is that all about? And it's nothing funny about it, but there are fires that are raging in California and Oregon are huge. And I actually have a, a friend of mine who is a family ministry pastor in Oregon. And I was talking with her this week, and she said that um, she actually has to wear her N95 mask all the time, not just outside, but literally inside 24 hours a day because the air quality is so bad inside that it's dangerous for her. Well, we're talking about plot twists, and actually what we're doing is we're walking through the life of a man by the name of Joseph. Now, if you've missed a series or two, or you've missed a message or two, make sure you hit us up on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, catch up on those messages. Ricky has been absolutely knocking it out of the park, and you're going to want to catch up with those. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to recognize that Joseph, his story was full of plot twists. Now, if you're not familiar with Joseph... Or if you're not a Christian, or maybe it's your first time and somebody drug you here, this isn't uh, Joseph, uh, daddy of Jesus Joseph, not Mary Joseph, but this is Old Testament Joseph. This is Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph, if you are that old, that you remember that uh, movie and, and Broadway show. Let me kind of walk through the backstory just to catch you up, just in case you're not quite caught up with where we're at in Joseph's story. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob. Joseph had a lot of older brothers, and if you've got a lot of older brothers or sisters, you know that being the smallest one, being the littlest one, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world. It's a little tougher for Joseph, because you see, dad actually gave him that technicolor dream coat, right? The coat of many colors. He was the favored son, and actually, Joseph was a bit of a dreamer, too. Joseph had a tendency to dream and tell his brothers about how the dreams went, like, that they were going to bow down to him one day, which, of course, if you've got a little brother and he tells you that you're going to bow down to him at some point in time, yeah, that's not going over well, is it? Actually, he also had a dream that mom and dad would bow down to him at one point in time, too. Well, absolutely, the brothers at a certain point in time decided they had had enough of the little punk in their lives. I've got a little sister. I have thought about wanting to get rid of her, but I never have. Nicole, if you're watching... I never did, I promise. All the mean things, I apologize now. The brothers, however, decided that they were done with Joseph. They came up with a plan. They were going to kill him. Okay? They grew a little bit of a conscience, and they decided they're just going to chuck him in a pit and let nature take his course. Then they decided, you know what would be even better? Let's sell him off. If you've had a little brother, have you ever wanted to sell him off? I think, I, oh, okay, there's a couple in the audience. Okay, good. They sold him off. And they crushed the, far, the, the, they crushed the heart of their father by telling him that they had died. Joseph and his story goes on. He ends up in a man's house by the name of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar happened to be the captain of the guard in Egypt, hundreds of miles away from home, 
but at least it was relatively safe, even though Joseph was a slave. And the scriptures are really clear. Over and over again, we get this phrase that God was with Joseph. And in Potiphar's house, Potiphar actually puts Joseph in charge of the entire household, which goes pretty well until Mrs. Potiphar starts paying attention to our young, handsome boy. Teenager, actually. And through one fateful series of events, Mrs. Potiphar gets the Heisman Trophy pose from, from our boy Joseph, and she cries rape, which has about the thud it does in this time as it would in ours. Potiphar's furious, throws Joseph in prison. It's in prison that Joseph, again, God is with him, and again, Joseph is elevated. Joseph is actually able, through God's help, to be able to interpret a couple of dreams. One for Pharaoh's cupbearer, and one for Pharaoh's baker. Whenever those two dreams come true, Joseph is ignored and forgotten about. Pot twist again. Until Pharaoh has a dream, and he doesn't know what it means. And Joseph is brought in to Pharaoh, and he's able, through God's help again, to interpret the dream which is fantastic. Joseph actually takes it another step further, though. Joseph actually not only interprets the dream that a famine is coming, but he gives Pharaoh a plan to get through it. Store up grain now so that we can be ready for the seven-year famine. So that's what happens. Joseph is actually raised to the place of second in charge of the most powerful country in the known world. It's an amazing place. From nothing, from a pit to a palace. It's amazing. Well, that, that famine lasts for two years. And back home, back at the ranch, Jacob, Joseph's brothers, are now starving. Jacob has had enough, and he tells the good-for-nothing brothers lounging around on the couch to get up off your doves and get down to Egypt, buy us some food, or we're all going to starve to death. And so that's exactly what they do. They don't realize it, but they end up in front of Joseph. Joseph does a very good job. He doesn't reveal who he is. Through a series of three tests, Joseph comes to learn that not only does he have a new younger brother, becomes the favorite again, but that his brothers have actually changed. They've shown remorse. They're taking joy in the fact that they have another brother. And they are very sorry for what happened to Joseph. And so Joseph is left with a choice. That's what we're going to pick up this week in Genesis chapter 45. So if you've got a Bible app with you, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 45. While I play with this, it's not going to work. That's okay. We can adapt. I've also got the, um, the verses up on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse 1. Joseph could stand it no longer. Now don't forget, Joseph is in the room with his brothers. Joseph screams out, out, all of you. He cried out to his attendants. He wanted to be alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept aloud. His sobs could be heard throughout the palace. And the news was quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there 
in front of them. Okay, picture this scene for a minute. You've got a room, let's just say it's this big, and you've got Joseph on a platform, and you've got the Hebrew brothers. The Hebrews would have been considered like sheep herders and gross and smelly and all that kind of stuff. So they're like back in the back of the room, right? And the Joseph, who had been dressed like an Egyptian, headdress, shaved, the whole bit, speaking Egyptian, now turns to everybody in the room and says, all of you get out. The interpreter leaves as well. And so Joseph then turns to his brothers and speaking Hebrew, their language, says, I am Joseph. The brothers don't know what to do. The one that they had left in a pit, the one that they had sold off, the one they had discarded like cattle, the one whose news of the death crushed their father's heart, that one was standing in front of them like a ghost come back to life. The scriptures use a funny word. They use the word stunned. Actually, I think the better translation might be terrified. <laughs> they don't know what to say. So they say nothing. Verse 4 continues our passage. Joseph says, come over here. He ushers them closer so they can see him better. So they come closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't be angry with yourselves that you did this for me, for God did it. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives these two years of famine will grow to seven, during which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God has sent me here to keep you and your families alive so that, your fam so that you will become a great nation. Yes, it was God who sent me here, not you. And he has made me a counselor to Pharaoh, manager of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. During this entire thing, and Joseph goes on for two more paragraphs. The brothers say nothing. I mean, this is... This is a soil-your-pants moment for them. Joseph controls whether they live or die, and they remember that whenever they had that choice, they left him to die. But Joseph makes his choice in verse 14, where it says, Weeping with joy, he, Joseph, embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them, and then they began talking freely with him. The big payoff, the big moment is here. An entire lifetime of pain and circumstances comes to a head at this moment, and Joseph makes a choice. Joseph has an attitude of reconciliation. But I think that attitude starts a little earlier. Check this out on the screen here, just a second. He says, the key to reconciliation is your attitude. Joseph had every reason to be upset. He had every reason for his attitude to be awful. 
His brothers left him for dead. They sold him off. He ends up in Potiphar's house where he's accused of a horrible crime. He's forgotten in jail. And the people that were responsible were standing there. But I think Joseph doesn't come to this moment in an isolated moment. I think Joseph's attitude actually begins much earlier. For you and for me, that person that hurt us, we have a choice to make. What is our attitude going to be? I believe that God does not move as powerfully in Joseph's life as he does unless Joseph displays an attitude of forgiveness, even before the brothers do anything. In Potiphar's house, Joseph had every right to whine and complain and to wallow in self-pity, but he doesn't. In jail, Joseph has every right to whine and complain, but he doesn't. Even whenever he comes before Pharaoh, Joseph has every right to say, look, they treated me wrong, but he doesn't. You see, Joseph did something that probably we need to do. He had the choice to either be bitter or to be better. And he chose to be better. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 says this. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. You see, here's what I think Joseph knew even before this verse was ever written, that a root that's left to grow for years and years and years is impossible to pull out. But a root that's pulled out early by our attitude is easier to pull out. Now, at this point in time, you have every right to look at me and say, but you don't know what he did to me. You don't know how he hurt me. You don't know how he abused me. And you're right. I don't know. And I am so sorry that happened to you. But at some point in time, at some point in time, your attitude is yours to choose. You can either become bitter or you can submit to God and become better. Look at this again. So the key to your attitude, so the key to your attitude is submitting yourself to God. Submitting yourself to God. What does that look like? Well, Joseph was really good at this. Let's use his example. Whenever he was in front of Mrs. Potiphar and she was tempting him to do something he knew he shouldn't do, what did he say? He said, it would be a great sin against God. Whenever Joseph was in prison with the cupbearer and the baker and they asked him to interpret a dream, Joseph says this, interpreting dreams is God's business. Whenever he's standing there in front of Pharaoh and he has every option to be able to say, look, I am good enough to be here. What does he say to Pharaoh? He says, it is beyond my power 
to do this, to interpret the dream. But God will tell you what it means. And when Joseph had reached the pinnacle of power and had a wife and kids, he named them something special. Manasseh means God has made me forget all my trouble. And Ephraim means God has made me fruitful. And let's go back to Genesis chapter 45, verse 5 for a second, where it says, Joseph says, don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me for, and everybody say it with me together, God did it. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. You see, for Joseph, God was at the central core of his life. Everything revolved around him, God. Here's the problem. I don't do that. God is one of the things in my life. He's on my schedule even. Eight o'clock in the morning, every, every day. But for too many times, too many instances, God isn't the central core of my life. And it's something I'm working on. But Joseph understands something here. God wants to be the hub, not just a spoke. Go back to, you got it here, still here. Okay, great. It says, don't be angry with yourselves that you did this to me, for God did it. And here, let's continue. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. I believe that Joseph knew something that was bigger than a moment, bigger than a brother, bigger than a food. I think Joseph recognized that he was a part of a greater story, a greater story that we need to be part of as well. See, I see blessing and reconciliation as a thread that runs through the entire scripture. See, Joseph remembers the stories from his father, his grandfather, and even his great-grandfather, whose name happens to be Abraham. And Abraham was given a promise from God that if you follow me, I will make you and your descendants a blessing to all the nations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then it takes a little bit of a turn because who else is in the room in chapter 45? A guy by the name of Judah, one of Joseph's brothers, who was starving and needed food. Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers included, included his brother Judah. Judah is important. Because if you go back and trace his family lineage down, Jesus is in there. Without Judah, there is no Jesus. Without Jesus, you and I have no reconciliation with God. And Paul picks up on this, and he recognizes, and he sees it, and then he turns it sideways, and he says, you know what, because Jesus had a ministry of reconciliation with God, that means we have a ministry of reconciliation also. We have something to do. We can be a part of a greater story. See, the result of reconciliation is blessing. Now, what does that look like today?
2020 in the midst of everything going on. So we are, as far as I'm concerned, in one of the greatest upheavals probably in the last hundred years. A pandemic, social justice and unrest, and an election that feels like it's more important than it has been in a very, very long time. How do we respond as ministers of reconciliation, as a people, the responsible for reconciliation? Well, here's what it looks like. Don't be a jerk. No, don't be a jerk. Be a blessing and work for reconciliation. Joseph had every right to be a jerk. He was treated horribly over and over and over again. But instead of choosing bitter, he chose better. And you know what? Our culture makes it easy to be a jerk, doesn't it? I mean, it's easy to hide behind a keyboard. It's easy to hide behind a Facebook wall, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. The people that we're shouting at, they're on the wrong side of that issue, aren't they? They play for the wrong team. But reconciliation sees something different. It sees that that person who disagrees with you, that person whose lifestyle is different than yours, that person who, if you're on the red team, they're on the blue team or vice versa, that person was created. And the creation story tells us that um, after God had made Oceans and mountains and lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Um, He made us. And he made us very specifically. He made us in his image. So therefore, every person that you come in contact with, every person that you argue with on Facebook, every person that you see on the news that you don't like, bears the image of the one that you claim to love. Do you really love him? If so, then you would be able to find the image of him in even that person. I was um, listening to a podcast, a TED Talk actually, Uh, the speaker was Dr. Christiane Marie Abusera. Long name. Brilliant TED Talk. If you uh, go to our website, fcbc.life, to the sermons and the sermon notes, you can watch the, there's a link there to the TED Talk, and she's absolutely brilliant. One of the things that she walks through is this, this um, study that was done. Brain scientists actually um, studied some of this team-based divide, social divide that we have, and, and just for funsies, we're going to play this out for just a second. So what I'm going to do, sorry, you guys, I'm going to, I'm going to split this room in half. And so we'll just say this side of the room, we're going to call you the, the red team, okay? So every, red team, woo! All right, on this side of the room, you all the blue team, and some of you just freaked out a little bit. But you guys are the blue team, you guys are the red team. Yeah, it's an election year, you know what I'm doing, right? Um, and so what they discovered was is that for those of us over here on the red team, whenever something good would happen to our team, well, the pleasure sensors in our brain would ignite and they were watching the brain functions. Same thing would happen over here. So everybody on the blue team, whenever something great would happen to your team over here, again, those pleasure sensors would ignite and you would love it. It's great. But something amazing happened. Whenever they had something bad happen to the other team, those same pleasure sensors would fire up again. And over here, 
if you're on the red team and something bad happened to the blue team, your pleasure sensors would ignite. Actually, what would happen is, is that their pain would cause you pleasure. The scientists said, that's interesting. What would happen if we changed up a little bit? And so then they took a group of people that used to be on the red team and made them switch sides to the blue team. And maybe these people over here that were on the blue team, now you guys switch sides to the red team. And the brain recalibrates itself in a matter of milliseconds. The people that you used to identify with, the people that you thought was on the right side of history or the issue, well, now you take pleasure in their pain too. What does this have to do with blessing and reconciliation? A lot. Because for too many of us, we forget that the person we argue with, that person with different life experiences than us, the person who we would say hates us, is an image bearer of God. And so we, Christians, have a ministry of reconciliation. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're watching online and you're not a Christian, then I'm going to let you off the hook because you don't have to do this. But as Christians, it's our responsibility to be reconciling, to be a people of reconciliation for blessing. This is our ministry, our job. And so whenever we sling arrows on Facebook, we're not doing our job. I have friends of mine that aren't Christians. The reason why they're not Christians isn't because they don't like Christ. The reason why they're not Christians is because they don't like Christians. Because whenever they hear the term Christian, they think bigot, homophobe, hater, everything that we are against. Could you imagine what it would be like if even people who didn't follow Christ recognized us as countercultural, as people who worked for reconciliation? Whenever I post something on Facebook, I ask myself three different questions. First question, is it true? Second question, is it kind? Third question, is it necessary? You see, I am confident that the way I push myself out on social media, the way I use my platform matters, and yours is the same. Am I helping the cause of Christ, or am I hurting it? The way we display our attitude matters. You see, Fort Caroline Baptist Church is actually on the front lines of reconciliation. Whenever you give to this church, Arlington Community Services benefits. And I've seen a family leave Arlington Community Services down to their last meal. He's walking out with a grocery bag. You make that happen. Through your giving, you make that possible. That's reconciliation. That is blessing. I've seen people walk out of Celebrate Recovery with the strength to fight for sobriety another week. You make that happen because of your giving. 
And a couple of weeks ago, I received an email from a family who were literally down to their last dollar. They didn't know how they were going to buy diapers that week because of the benevolence ministry of this church. I got the incredible joy of being able to, buy, to, to pick up a Walmart gift card, stand there at that family's door and hand it to them. And they smiled and their tear came to their face. And you made that happen. But I think God wants us to think bigger. I think God wants us to reach higher. I think God wants us to move beyond just the church organization and us be the ones who work for reconciliation. So what does that look like? Now I'm going to freak you out. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go for coffee or lunch with someone who has different life experiences than you. Are you on the red team? Go out to lunch with someone on the blue team. Are you on the blue team? Go out to lunch with someone on the red team. Are you white? Go out to lunch with someone who's black. Ask them. What's it like to be you? What's it like to be black in America? I thought this was over. Apparently it's not. Help me understand. Go out to lunch with someone of a different sexual orientation to you and say, help me understand. Now here's the trick. You can't argue. <laughs> you can't score debate points. That's not what this is for. This is for you to see the image of God in another person and to understand their experiences and to understand who they are and what they're about. This is for you to take a moment and understand that reconciliation costs me something. It costs my time. It costs my lunch money. It costs me keeping my mouth shut for five minutes so that I can hear you. Joseph, reconciled to those brothers before they were even in the room with him. And then whenever he recognized that they had actually met halfway, he completed the task of reconciliation. My friends, it's time that we be a people known for reconciliation. Could you imagine what it would look like if the local news caught wind of a church who even whenever they disagreed was willing to talk and listen and hear. Even whenever they knew someone was in sin, they would still listen to their experience. Even whenever they knew someone was doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason, for the wrong political party, they would listen and hear and work to be reconciled. That is what the story of Joseph and God's story is all about because even while we were yet sinners, Christ died to be reconciled for us. Do me a favor, close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute. If you've come to this room or you're watching online and you think this is all a good idea, but you want to understand what this whole idea of submitting to God really is, it's actually a, a conversation with God. And it goes something like this. And actually, everybody in the room, I want you to repeat it after me so that that person who's saying this for the very first time doesn't get freaked out because their voice is the only one that they hear. So everybody say this, God, I'm a sinner. 
I have placed myself at the core of my life. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus took my place and my punishment. I will follow you and I will trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you said that prayer for the very first time, then congratulations. You are on the first steps of an amazing journey that will continue for the rest of your lives. I need you to do me a favor, though. I need you to pull out your phone, and I need you to go to fcbc.life, okay? fcbc.life, if you did that for the very first time. There is, if you scroll up a little bit, there is a card that says, let's connect on it. Give us your name, your email address, and cell phone number, and then let us know that you've made a decision to follow Christ. I guarantee you two things will happen. Number one, whenever staff meeting happens on Tuesday, we will celebrate. We will have a party. There will be cheering and shouting. I will throw confetti in the air. It'll be great. Okay, I'm just saying. It'll be awesome. The other thing, we are not going to spam you to death or anything like that or sell off your name to a bunch of email services. But what we will do is we will reach out to you. And we will guide you. And we will be your coach as you take your next steps in faith. For those of us who are regular attenders, thank you so much for being here. There are other places you could be, and you're here, or you're watching online. Make sure you check us out on fcbc.life. Make sure you keep up with us on social. Uh, make sure you've gotten a chance to schedule your gift online, or you can use the offering boxes in the back. I'm going to pray for us one more time, and then we're going to be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge that is this Joseph story. God, it's so hard sometimes for us to get over the fact that we've been hurt. But God, give us the courage it takes to choose our attitude and to choose better over bitter. God, help us to be a people of reconciliation, to do the hard work it takes to be reconciled with people that we don't understand, the people that are different than us, the people whose life experiences confuse us. And God, when that happens, when we find common ground, when we see the image of you in that other person, we won't pat ourselves on the back. We will praise you because your kingdom got stronger. Your kingdom had a chance to get bigger. And that is awesome. God, we love you so much. Thank you so much for Jesus and his sacrifice who reconciles us back to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.